wonderful morning so far. Um, and thank you, Anne, because you've just preached my whole message. Um, so you will be hearing a lot of things repeated. But to me, that's just wonderful because it means I'm on the right track. Um, so thank you, Jesus. Um, and that Psalm 32 was just wonderful. And what you, what you shared, Florine, as well. You know, the Lord wants to bless us. And last week, we spoke about pulling up roots and how they restrict the growth that the Lord has purposed for our lives. And one of the things I mentioned was how words we speak over ourselves and others and words spoken over us and our family um, are all roots that need removing. You see, words are very, very powerful. Proverbs 18, 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death. Now, the thing that came to mind this week is how words and some other things can become confused and mixed up. For instance, recently, the word wicked become a word for good. And people will say, yeah, you're wicked. When we start mixing up words, when we start mixing up good for bad, it brings confusion and it plants roots that are wrong because it confuses good and bad. If someone says to you, you're wicked, rebuke it. You are not wicked. You are blessed. You are holy. You have the Lord God Almighty, the Holy Spirit living in you. You are not wicked. Do not allow new roots to settle back in. Now, you may think I'm going a bit far with this, but the old prophets in the Old Testament prophesied all about this. Isaiah 5, 20 said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Rebuke any words spoken over you that may plant more weeds and speak truth back in your life. Declare, and we heard about declaring this morning, declare I am blessed, I am made righteous by faith and pure by grace and mercy. Just a thought, but how do you think the Holy Spirit would react if someone said those words to him? Well, he lives in us. Yeah? It's a thought, isn't it? Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own, so don't accept things spoken over you. That's not what God says about you. Therefore, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, we need to protect ourselves and keep ourselves pure and holy. We can do that by keeping the truth clearly in our minds. God gave us the word or the Bible to guide us and protect us, all of it, not just the parts that we like. Jesus said in John 8:31, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Very truly, I tell you, 
Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, which is Jesus, sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus is telling us how important it is to keep the word of, of God or the truth in our hearts and minds. It's what keeps us pure. It's our shield to stop the fiery darts of the enemy. It's our protection and our guide and the sword to fight the enemy. The enemy cannot stand against the word of God. Jesus showed us that when he, was, when he came out the 40 days in the desert. All he did when the enemy came to tempt him was quote the word. He didn't argue. He didn't need to. And what happened? The enemy left. And then angels came to tend him. The word is truth. And it will set, him for, set us free. Proverbs 30 says, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to, they, to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. God's word is perfect. We cannot add or remove from the word of God. We cannot change the meaning of a word, a sentence, a paragraph. We cannot change the meaning. It is sufficient and truthful and perfect as it is. Galatians 5, and this is the New Living Translation. False teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. There's another interesting verse that I read in Lamentations, and it says, The vision of your prophets was false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off your captivity. I'm going to read that verse again. The vision of your prophets were false and worthless. They did not expose your sin to ward off captivity. The oracles they gave were false and misleading. In other words, false teachings and false prophets glossed over things and misled the people into believing that bad was good, good was bad. They allowed confusion and they led the people into captivity again. The total opposite of what God wants for us. Because it says Christ come to set us free, not put us in captivity, but take us out. God made a covenant with his people and gave us guidance in the form of the Ten Commandments, which he gave to Moses, for the people to be clear on what was regarded as sin. He said a sacrifice was required for the atonement of the sins that were committed. Now, let's be, let's be honest, it is hard to live up to commandments. It's hard to keep that pure heart all the time, isn't it? And that's why they constantly needed to repent and, and have a sacrifice. But the wonderful news for us is we have a new covenant. By sending his son Jesus, and you know this, but by sending his son Jesus to be the final and only sacrifice ever needed, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I like reading the whole verse there because I just really like it. Christ came to set, sorry, to pay the price for our sin, past, present, and future. Now, that doesn't mean that gives us the way ahead to go out and just say, well, if I'm forgiven, I'm just going to go and sin. doesn't mean that, okay? But it does mean that God knows we're going to mess up. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
when we repent, when we come back with a pure heart and say, I'm just so sorry, Lord. He will forgive us. He's already forgiven us. That's what it means. Okay. So past, present, future sins will be forgiven when we have a repentant heart. But there are things that we are guided to do. In John 3, it says, where Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of spirit. You must be born again. We become a new creation, old self and sin washed away in water, and the new righteous self born in Christ and Holy Spirit in us as that guarantee. And Jesus led by example. When John the Baptist said, should I be baptizing you? And Jesus said, yeah, let it be done now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was showing us symbolically that actually washing off the old, washing that sinful life away and becoming a new person in him is important. When he was baptized, that heavenly voice came and said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. We were washed clean from sin by his blood, made righteous by faith and healed by his stripes. And we've heard again this morning, we have an eternity to look forward to with the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Jesus went ahead of us to sit at the right hand of the Father. And he said, I've gone ahead of you to prepare a place. That's a promise, a clear promise. And it's written in John 14, if you want to read the whole thing. So the point I'm getting at is the commandments or the law brought us the knowledge of what sin is. But Jesus brings us the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness for them. But it's only as we really recognize our sin and our sinful nature that we can truly understand what the Lord Jesus has done for us. If we don't ever admit that we've sinned, how can we possibly understand how grateful we need to be? Yeah? In the magnitude of that understanding, we can actually receive the freedom intended for us as a new creation in him. And that means everything, including the blessings, the healings, the authority, and the power. Now, just to clarify, this is not about focusing on our sin, but it is remembering how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, removed it from us. Yeah? And that brings glory to the Father. And it also gives meaning to the words that Jesus spoke to us when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. By the blood of Christ, we are saved. He is the only way, truth, and life. He brings that life. No one else. God forgives a repentant heart, and his, his arms are always open to receive us back. And Jesus uses examples of the shepherd leaving the 99 to save the one, and that's in Matthew 18. He says that the father's not willing to lose any of his children. 
Now remember King David? We know that he committed adultery. He then tried to hide it. And he did that by sending off the husband to be killed. And he later admitted to Nathan the prophet that he had sinned against the Lord. Now this is the prayer that he prays in 51, um, Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. It's such a heartfelt prayer, isn't it? It's a desperate prayer. Create in me. In other words, David felt the depth of the sin that was weighing heavy on him. And he knew he distanced himself from God. He asks, restore to me the joy of your salvation. His sin had opened the door to the enemy coming in. And that had brought all the opposite effects that he wanted. He'd lost the joy of the Lord. He'd lost the peace that he had. It was all covered by sin. He then said, I will teach transgressors your way so sinners will turn back to you. By recognizing the sin that he'd committed and repenting and receiving forgiveness, David was saying, I'll rededicate my life. Just come back. Just wash this away. Create in me a pure heart again, Lord. He would have given his life to get back where he was. He was so desperate. But because he was desperate, because he could see what he'd done, he opened the door back for the Lord to come back and forgive him. And the Lord did. Now, this is the same David who, as a young man, knew who he was in God. This is the one who stood against Goliath, that mighty giant, when not a single soldier or warrior would. That alone goes to tell you how frightening this man must have, must have been. The enemy, the aggressors, didn't, didn't go to war. They stood there and they sent this one guy out in, out in front. But... God had placed a giant's heart in David. Yeah? And David defeated that giant through faith in God. But now this mighty man of God had fallen. His feet had slipped. And he was praying for restoration of a pure heart. And God did show him mercy. He did send Nathan to first rebuke him. But then he said, but nevertheless, you will not die. God is almighty. And he hates sin. He's good. He's kind. He's merciful. He's full of love. He's full of grace. And he loves us so much that he sent Jesus to make a way for us. Sin has consequences. And the Lord paid the price for us. The Lord accepted David's repentance, repentant heart because he doesn't want to lose anybody. He knows what losing them means. And sometimes I think we need to remind ourselves what it means to have been saved. We can never forget his reverence and what he's done through Jesus for us and also what he saved us from. 
He wants us to remain pure in heart and holy as temples of the Holy Spirit. He's given us not only written guidance of how to do that, but Holy Spirit will guide us too. He wants us to receive everything that he's purposed for our lives because his love is more than we can possibly ever imagine. And Jesus reminds us in, in Matthew 7.13, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a, f- a few find it. He carried on in, uh, a bit further, and he said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Jesus was warning us that we are living in a world of confusion. We're living in a world where temptations are everywhere. And we need to be wise. We need to protect ourselves. And we need to keep ourselves pure and holy. And not be sucked into this world and all that it has to offer. And not be sucked into changing what we might think is just a tiny little word. But it has power. It has power over us and it has power over other people. And it can stop the fullness of God in our life. Romans 12 said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. So we started today talking about confusing words. In 1 Timothy 1, 3 to 7, it says, The Apostle Paul tells Timothy to stay in Ephesus um, and command certain men not to teach false doctrine, sorry, false doctrine, which promote controversies rather than God's work, which he says is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. He continues, Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about. There will be false doctrine. So how do we know if it's false? We've got a Bible. We've got the word of God. We've also got the Holy Spirit in us. If someone turns around and says to you, actually, it doesn't mean that. "Mm, Not so sure. Read the whole paragraph. And if you're still not sure, pray. Don't listen to man. You have Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is there to guide us. He's there to teach us. He's there to protect us. God made his written word understandable because he wants us to read it and to know him, to have a relationship with him, spend time with him and trust him for ourselves. When Jesus spoke to the fishermen, he spoke using parables about fishing. When he spoke to shepherds, when he spoke to winemakers, he spoke in a way that they would understand. It was never meant to be a secret. It is meant for all. 1 Corinthians 1, and I'm not reading it all, just part of it. The foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong so that no one can boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, 
who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast, but boast in the Lord. God's foolishness is wiser than the most clever of humans, but he chooses the foolish things to shame the wise, meaning we don't have to be wise to understand his word. He's giving it to us freely. He wants us to receive everything in it. He wants us to understand it. There's no secret. There's no hidden message. It's including his love, his freedom, his salvation, his peace, his joy, his healing, his prosperity, and so much more. He wants you to have it. He sent his son to die on a cross, go through all of that so we don't have to face the shame and conviction of sin. We are free. We are free indeed. Christ came to set us free and he said, freely you've received, freely give. He wouldn't say to us that if he, if he made something really complicated that we can't understand. We are saved, full stop, from our sin. If things get complicated, you can ask your pastors, your leaders, or you can ask Holy Spirit, or you can do both. But read it for yourself. Don't get confused by words and people who try to make things wise. We don't have to. It was never meant for the wise. I'm definitely not wise. The word is there for us to take hold of and live in, to apply to our lives and share with others, to guide us away from the sin and into purity, holiness and freedom. So we need to hold fast to it and we need to declare it in our lives. So to summarize, as we are coming to the end, bring all those different bits together. Words not used in their correct meaning can be harmful to us and others and can plant roots of confusion. Good is good and sin is sin. Our Lord God is a forgiving God who washed our sins away. And will continue to do so as we come to him with a repentant heart. Last week, we uprooted some weeds. Now, we have to protect ourselves that no one plants them back again. As we remind ourselves what the Lord has done for us and what we've been saved from, that leads us not just into having a repentant heart, but gratefulness. And that leads to purity and holiness, and a closeness, a need to be close with our Lord God, a need to, to be close to the Lord Jesus. Amen. Shall we pray? Lord, I just thank you for your word, because it, because it is truth. Thank you that we do not need to change it. Thank you that it is steadfast. It is our rock. You are our rock. And Father, I just pray your blessing on this congregation. I pray the armor of God to protect them, Lord. I pray your helmet of salvation, your breastplate of righteousness, your belt of truth, your shield of faith, your sword of the spirit, and prepare our feet in the gospel of peace. In Jesus' name, amen.